You're listening to The Peak Podcast with me, Christina Roman. We're having real, intimate conversations about the interconnectedness of life. Join us as we discuss big topics like intuition, personal mastery, and emotional wellness and why they matter for you. In this episode, Pastor Bill Rose and I chat about the stigmas that people have about the church, shame and vulnerability within the church, loving people when you don't condone their actions, and God versus intuition. We also dig into practical topics that we experience regularly, like the messy middle of holding people accountable and giving advice without attachment. Towards the end, Bill has an incredible call to action for anyone listening, whether or not you're religious. Here are a few teaser quotes from the episode. Eat the fish and throw out the bones. The question is, will you be the one who takes ownership? People aren't problems to be solved. They're opportunities to be loved. And lastly, don't build a cult, build a church. All of these quotes will make a lot more sense in the context of the episode, so I really hope you enjoy giving it a listen. If you have any feedback, positive or negative, please feel free to send it our way. Bill and I are really looking forward to continuing to engage on this topic with you. Thank you and happy listening. Hey, Bill. Welcome to the podcast. Hey. I'm super excited to have you on today. So I reached out to you because you are a pastor. So you work at or lead Oasis Church. Is it more accurate to say that you lead? Yeah, I lead pastor. um, And that's about it. There's no other good titles. (laughs) Coach. I'm going to pretend that you're a coach. Hey, that's good. I'm really interested in the overlap between coaching and being a pastor, um, which is part of the reason that I wanted to have you on the podcast today. But for a little bit of background, you and I know each other because you actually officiated at my sister's wedding. Yeah. And so I got to see you in action there. Yeah, that that was a really fun day for me. I remember thinking... Uh, nobody at the wedding like knew me very well. So I got to just sort of fly under the radar and come do a wedding and then just watch. And I didn't have to worry about any church people bothering me or people that I knew asking me a thousand questions. And, uh, I just hung, I just hung out and drank some beer and watched everyone dance. It was fun. Oh, I'm, I'm glad that you feel that way. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, I do want to dig a little bit into your personal stuff in a little bit, but I just want to talk about what your life is like as a pastor. And so again, I told you this via email, but one of the big reasons that I wanted to have you on the podcast is because I live in Washington, DC. It's pretty liberal. Um, I do know some people who go to church, but I also know a lot of people who have a lot of stigmas around the church. So I don't mean to start a conversation with a pastor with all of the church stigmas, but I do want to just get that out in the open. Um, I think some people will be surprised that you're here on the podcast, which I'm super excited about because my philosophy is that we're, we can't be open-minded or we can't be open-minded if we're not open to the church. Um, you can't call yourself a liberal if you are not open to other people having other beliefs besides you. So anyway, anything to speak to on that? Um, yeah, well, I would say for uh, if, if there is somebody listening that's kind of like, oh, boy, here we go. Um, <laughs> I, I'm just a dude. And uh, and uh, <laughs> I I like wearing T-shirts and um, I do operate my life and my role as a pastor. It, it is, op, you know, operated from a set of beliefs as anyone else uh, would live their lives from a, a set of beliefs. Um, and um, uh, but uh, I, I guess I would just say, uh, let's just have some fun and have a conversation. And um, if I say something that is uh, really far out in left field, 
then just eat the fish but spit out the bones you know if i if i'm saying stuff that I love that. people people say and i don't believe that or agree with that and just leave it to the side i think there's just a lot we can learn from each other um the only thing that i for me the the thing that's most uncomfortable about this is it's just like it feels like a one-sided conversation and so anybody out there who's listening like I would want to invite your feedback. So email Christina or me, or if, if there's a conversation that can be had, I would love that. That would be phenomenal for me. I, I really appreciate you offering that up. And I will definitely give you a chance at the end to tell people where to find you because I do think that it's really interesting to keep the conversation going afterwards. Yeah. Um, but I just want to say really quickly, I love that expression of throw out, eat the fish, but throw away the bones. I always say, yeah. don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Um, And I think I talk about a lot of different topics that people have some pushback on. And so I always just say, read, read my words or listen to the words and take the part that resonates and throw the rest away. Like you said, is you don't have to adopt every single aspect in order to get some amount of benefit. That's good. Yeah. One of the things we say at our church, we do a lot of leadership discussions and our staff, I have a staff of four. So we're a small church. Um, but we do a lot of leadership conversations and uh, one of our values is we say we bring forks to the table. And so the idea there is that we we come ready to eat and we know that it's going to be up to us to gather, to dig, to search, to learn. And there's always room for us to grow and for us to eat. And so rather than sitting back sort of with a bib waiting for someone to spoon feed us, um, we're saying, no, we're going to take responsibility for our own growth in whatever areas we're approaching, you know, whatever subject we're approaching. So, um, so yeah, it's kind of this, this mindset of there's always an opportunity to learn and grow in whatever circumstance you're in. Um, the question is, will you be the one that takes ownership over it? Mm, I love that so much. So that's a really good segue to ask you, what are some of the biggest learning experiences that you've been going through lately, either as a pastor or as a human being, which are not separate things, not mutually exclusive, but any big learning experiences that have stood out? Yeah. Um, you know, there's there's this there's this trend in church culture that I think we've all picked up on to... Um, almost dehumanize people. And actually this trend isn't in church culture. This trend is in culture in general. Everybody's outraged about something. And I think what I'm seeing is that when, when, uh, when, when issues come up, whether political or social that cause major division, what happens on either side is there's a tendency to dehumanize those on the other side of you mm-hmm. because when you dehumanize somebody, you can say whatever you want to say about them and it, you don't feel bad because you don't love them. And it, it's hard to, um, it's hard to say some of the things about, you know, b- politicians and organizations and movements that have been said whenever you have someone who's on that side that you love. So it's best to just distance yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think what I've been kind of picking up on lately is, is this concept that, um, People aren't problems to be solved. They're opportunities to be loved. Um, mm. And it's something that I've think wrestled with in church culture. I do see it broad, more broadly, but just in church culture, you know, there's 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 a lot of conversation online about all the major issues, social issues, political issues, and you know, people who are going through stuff you know, like divorced people. Divorce isn't a mm-hmm. problem to be solved. It's a person to be loved. Um, mm-hmm. Gay people are not a problem to be solved. They are people to be loved. Um, mm-hmm. 
you you name you name it. Uh, there there's just in culture in general, there's just this tendency. I think Donald Trump is not a problem to be solved. He's a person to be loved. Uh, I love it. And 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 so it's it's kind of like when you start seeing people as humans and you humanize people, I think you find that you can relate to them more. And and that's ultimately what's going to, I think, the fabric of all relationships uh, is. Uh, I think we I think we just got to focus on caring and humanizing and loving people. So I like the way that you say we want to have conversations that are about humans. It's it's a human conversation. Uh, because at the end of the day, that's what we all are. Absolutely. That's what I always describe my podcast as conversations about the human experience, which is we're all living very, very different versions of it, but fundamentally we're all experiencing the same base feelings, emotions. We're all feeling vulnerability. We're all feeling shame. Even if people listening are like, I don't feel shame. You do. <laughs> um, uh-huh. That's that's my biases. We're all experiencing the same emotions. But my question for you, and so I think there's there's a big conversation to be had here about how do you love somebody? And I love your point about Donald Trump. Um, I think a lot of people listening may have a very visceral negative reaction <laughs> right. to that. Right, yeah, no. But I was hesitating to drop his name. No, but, I, yeah. I'm glad you did. I'm glad you did because I see it the same way as I, I don't fundamentally – this is going to be also a maybe a dividing belief, but I don't believe that people are inherently evil. Mm. Um, and so I believe there's a lot that goes into having somebody whose actions you don't agree with. I think that there's a lot of socialization that goes into that. Anyway, that's a separate conversation. But for somebody who feels like they hate Donald Trump or hate gay people or hate anyone, uh-huh. how do you love without necessarily – condoning someone's actions um I, you <laughs> big know, question that, for that, you bill yeah yeah <laughs> happy is, monday morning <laughs> yeah yeah exactly um i well first of all i don't spend a lot of time for me personally um considering whether or not i condone someone's actions i i just don't um how somebody is or what they how they act um unless it's a, unless there's an immediate danger or threat to me or my family I, mm-hmm. I don't spend a lot of time considering like their behavior. I I just genuinely try to sit with people and just get to know them and understand them. And just one of the postures that we talk about a lot at some of our leadership gatherings is this this posture of curiosity as a leader. Like it's our responsibility just to be curious. And and mm-hmm. so instead of jumping to conclusions or making ultimate statements about a person or their things they believe or whatever – just ask more questions and spend the time that you need to uh, to uncover and get to know somebody for who they are and 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 rather than judging their motives just try to understand their motives and most people have a very deep rooted reason for why they behave a certain way mm-hmm. um and so why not spend some time just trying to understand that and put myself in their shoes and get to know them and instead of having like a a plan for them or a goal for them, why don't I just come and breathe life and be a wind to their own plan for them and their own goal for them? Uh, because ultimately, uh, and you know, I come from a perspective of a, of a person who believes in a book that a lot of people don't believe in. Uh, and I love a God that a lot of people don't care to know or, or con- mm-hmm. consider the possibility of. And, but yeah, I still find a way to have conversations where I'm, 
um, I, I guess this is a this is a community thing. We all around here are interested in people and just knowing them and understanding them. And our conversations aren't centered around our agenda for people. Mm-hmm. I love all of that. Um, I think it's a really good segue into some of those shared things that I just mentioned. So some of the big topics on my mind, and I think on the mind of a lot of people, given that vulnerability has really made it into the mainstream, uh-huh. talking about vulnerability. I don't. Are you familiar with Brene Brown? I've heard her name and and uh, and you know seen the on my YouTube channel. I often get <laughs> yep. uh, her as a as a suggested view, but I I have not watched much. I, I've I've seen a couple of her TED talks, but I haven't read her books or or spent a lot of time following her. She has a new Netflix special, so I highly recommend that. Oh. And she's just a really interesting person. I think you might you might enjoy her given what you work on day to day. But I do want to talk about those shared human emotions. So things like, again, vulnerability, shame, um, those things that often happen behind closed doors. How do you see that shaking out in the church? And how do you see that in your conversations with those in your church? I don't see... Ed, enough vulnerability. I see a lot of shame. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think in general, because of my role and the stigma that goes along with being a pastor or or let's just say being religious uh, because of mm-hmm. the stigma of that, uh, people aren't quick to open up. Uh, I mm-hmm. think part of the reason why is because they think they're going to get shot and you know they're going to get they're shooting themselves in the foot if they open up to a religious authority about mm-hmm. whatever whatever they're carrying. So I see a lot of shame and it plays out in relationships. It plays out in, uh, in marriages and, um, and, and you see the, the symptoms, you see the, the, the negative effects of shame, um, or the, the heartbreaking things that shame brings. But very rarely does somebody sit down with me and say, I'm really struggling with such and such. This is on my mind a lot. Uh, this mm-hmm. is affecting me in a certain way. I'm feeling this. It's usually people sit down and say, they said, she said, he said, <laughs> yes. and this is how I feel and I'm mad about it. And uh, and mm-hmm. then it takes a while and it really takes intentional long-term. And by long-term, I mean like years long of relationship, friendship and connection with people before they're willing to sort of bring down those walls and and invite you in. Mm-hmm. So, so I guess to answer your question shortly, vulnerability, I don't see a lot of, it just takes a lot longer to get there with people, but, uh, but shame, I definitely see the results of shame in people's lives pretty often. But to, to echo it back to you, it sounds like people feel shame, but they're not necessarily articulating it as shame. They're not saying, Hey, I feel super shameful there. You're seeing shame through their words. Yeah. Does that yeah, feel accurate? I think, yeah. I think that feels accurate. People feel shamed, like uh, like the things that I see a lot are people people are ashamed of something they either did in their past um, or something that was done to them. Mm-hmm. Uh, I see a lot of people with shame over sexual things, whether it was a, a sex that they had or some kind of experience that they engaged in that they regret. Maybe their family philosophy is we don't do that, whatever that mm-hmm. is. And then they did it and now they're ashamed of it. Um, or perhaps the opposite, something was forced onto them. They were assaulted in some way mm. um, and they feel they feel unclean or they feel dirty as the result, not of their own decision, but because of somebody's sin against them. 
Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so they carry this sense of I'm, I'm, they, it changed, it almost makes them, people change their identity because of what happened to them. And, uh, and so a lot of conversations are around the subject of sex, uh, relationships. Uh, a lot of people I find are, are carrying a lot of unforgiveness and bitterness toward somebody in their past, whether a parent or a family member. Um, and, and those are the two areas that I think um, I find the most uh, opportunities to massage and work through. And they take a lot of time to have a lot of discussions and um, but it's usually related to sex. And I'd like to say forgiveness or bitterness, resentment, that whatever the genre is that kind of grabs, mm-hmm. grabs those, those items. That's really interesting. I, I appreciate that perspective. And I my mind works in graphs. And so I automatically always see a Venn diagram. So I'm just I'm just seeing a Venn diagram with you've got sex on one side and you've got shame and, and resentment and everything on the other side. And then I'm sure there's a lot of overlap, like you said, between those two areas where you have shame around sex. So uh-huh, um, uh-huh. Very interesting. So as a pastor, and I, again, bringing it back to this idea that there's probably some overlap between being a pastor and being a coach, which is you, I would imagine, and I, I would appreciate your perspective, but you're listening to what people say and you're, you're listening to their words, but you're also listening to what's not said and you're listening for the deeper level and often just reflecting back what the person has said back to them. Um, because I think sometimes when we talk out loud and then we hear it back from another person, it really gives us additional perspective. Um, and so how else do you really counsel your church members when they're going through these kinds of situations? What is your mechanism for helping them? Um, so I spend most of my time uh, counseling and coaching church leaders. Okay. Uh, there's, there's a group of people that I consider to be like a leadership level within our church. And I want to help them be the best leader they can be to the people that we get to lead. Mm-hmm. Um, I, we, I don't do a lot of, uh, like intensive therapeutic type things because one, I'm not trained for that. Yeah. Uh, and secondly, I, I just don't feel, uh, I don't have a, the, my empathy, levels aren't high enough to make that a gift of mine. Really? Um, yeah. So I don't feel that I have like the ability, I, not a, it's an ability thing. I think part of it, and we'll talk about this later. I think some of my mm-hmm. upbringing, I think doesn't set me yes. up well to feel other people's pain. Interesting. Um, so I will often refer, I've got a good network of people that I trust who are therapists and counselors. So when somebody goes, so somebody comes and they need to, they need to take it to that level. I will. I have a good network of friends that I always push out to. Um, but one of the things I think is very valuable in the church community is there is a there's a community effort when it comes to coaching and counseling. And what I mean by that is there's so many people that have so many different life experiences that have sat in my office and shared their life experiences. And they're not professionally trained counselors, but they're really good friends and, and they want to be a friend to those in need. And so when somebody comes and sits down with us, whether it's with me or one of our staff members, and they unload a a list of stuff, 
we try to say, okay, there's, if you, if they're seeking help, um, because sometimes people aren't seeking help, they just want to talk. True. And that's, that's another true, story. True, true, true. Yes. Let's talk about that. I'm going to table that one. I yeah. have thoughts. <laughs> okay. All right, cool. If they're seeking help, they really want help. Then, uh, then we have so many opportunities and people who've walked down that road, who they can connect with from a friend perspective and ask questions. Um, and so we will always just kind of keep a list of not, it's not like a running list on paper. It's just in our minds and it's in our hearts and it's people we know. And it's the power of community of knowing, okay, this person's walked down this road. This person went through divorce. That person's dealt with a, a, a past that they, that they regretted. And, uh, and then just trying to connect people with people so that we can do life together and see ourselves as a, as a network of friends who are growing together. Um, I just, that is one of the most compelling. So I'm actually, I don't know if you know this. I'm not religious, but I am very spiritual. I feel uh-huh. like that word is very overrated, but it is accurate in my in my case. Um, and I believe a lot in the interconnectedness of humans, as I can think you can tell from the podcast. Uh-huh. Um, but for me, that's one of the most compelling reasons to be part of a church is just the community um, that I think is really hard to find in modern society, especially if you're in a city or if you're outside of a a small town where people really know each other. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's, I always tell our church this, you know, there's like this movement in the church world to like, if going to church is the goal, like checking off Mm -hmm. a list, I went to church. You can do that. Mm -hmm. You can do that online. You know, just, Mm -hmm. just go log on the internet and watch a church service. Um, Mm -hmm. It's the community that's powerful and it's the community at you know, it's being present and being engaged in the community side of things, going to be a part of small groups and other smaller gatherings that mm-hmm. I, I believe is the, is the, is the crux of what we do because uh, um, you can always get content via email, <laughs> yes. but you, but you can't get friendship via email and, mm-hmm. and, and you can't find this kind of community, at least the kind of community we're experiencing at Oasis. I, I've, I have never found this at the gym. I haven't found this in a book club and I, I haven't found this at school and all the other layers of where you connect with people. It's all, there's always a surface by which you connect. It's always, mm-hmm. um, it just seems like when you're at work, it's a work thing. This is my work friend. I have work spouses, right? You ever heard that phrase? This is my work <laughs> yes. spouse. Yeah, we get along great, yeah. but we only see each other at work. Right. Uh, and at church, there's something different about church for us. At least I'm not speaking on behalf of all churches. Uh, but for us, there's a life together aspect where we're in one another's homes and we're sharing food at the table and some people are working together. There is business networking happening. There is friendship happening, but it's like a conglomeration of all these pockets of community that sort of collide and, uh, and, and it requires, uh, it just, it requires presence. You have to be present to experience it. You can't just sort of click a button and say, I did it. I love that you brought presence into it. So to me, I just immediately went to the benefit of community, but also just that idea of presence and not being on your phone and not multi not cleaning your apartment while you're listening to your church service. Although, <laughs> right. I mean, the apartment's got to get cleaned, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm not, I'm not against listening to a podcast while cleaning. So if anyone's cleaning, no shame. Um, right. But no, I love the idea of just 
moving into a dedicated space and a dedicated community in order to be fully present. And I think that can take a lot of different forms. So for me, that might be a meditation center or um, I'm really interested in Quaker meetings. I've never actually been, but I'm just super interested in Quaker meetings. So if anyone's a Quaker out there, please write to me. Let's talk. (laughs) Um, But it's, yeah, I think just having a dedicated time and space where you are really just being, like you said, present. I love that. Yeah. So I wanted to go back to the idea of you said some people don't want advice and I have a I have a blog post that I have on this exact topic and I have a pretty strong opinion. But can you tell me what you meant by that when you're like some people just don't want advice. They just want to talk. Yeah. I mean it's just it's, it's just this uh, – I deal with so many kinds of people and there's just a – like to – this is what always surprises me is when, when I hear that some people will label – church people as like a certain breed mm-hmm. uh, like they're they're all the same they all think this way behave this way or, or something like that and mm-hmm. it's just nothing could be further from the truth in my experience being a, engaged and being in the center of it all and mixed mixed up with it there's just so many different kinds of people and people from every background and just diversity and of belief and we, we one of the things we always say around here is that we want to be radically inclusive uh, which means that we go out of our way to include people because we recognize that sometimes people require you to go out of your way to include them because they're so different. And you have to step aside and, and ask yourself the question, am I truly being inclusive? Am I loving this person because they're human? Um, or, and, and so we're, so I guess what I'm saying is w- when there's, when there's people who have different backgrounds and different ways of thinking and different belief systems and, then what good is it for me to try to push them down a direction that I believe is best for them mm-hmm. when I haven't even, when I've only spent 30 minutes talking with them right? or, or, or even when I've only had a year to get to know them, uh, why not spend, why not recognize that not everybody's ask, asking me for my opinion on their life or my suggested next steps yep. and and in, sometimes even when they are, they really aren't. They, hmm. They're saying they just what they're searching for is some ideas they can consider. Yeah. And so so it used to be that I would get when I was early in the stages of like becoming becoming a minister and spending a lot of time with people. I would kind of there's like a part of me that would be resentful or even get a little bit offended when somebody asked me a question and they didn't do what I say. Like yes. I'm the professional, you know, you should just do what I say. But I, over time, I've learned that nobody's going to ever just do what I say. <laughs> and I don't know whatever made me think that was a possibility. <laughs> but you're a pastor. Um, they should do what you say. Right? I know. Exactly. Exactly. And, and <laughs> this is ridiculous. And, and, and when and if I can if I could find a group of people who will just do what I say, <laughs> then I've built a cult. <laughs> True. So I can't, like, I can't expect True. that. So and you shouldn't. Yeah, that's probably a healthy mindset. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Don't build a cult, Bill. Build a church. I love that. I love that. That might be the the leading quote from this episode. <laughs> that's just going to go straight on the header. Um, Perfect. No, I think that's a. I think that's a really good mentality to have. And I think about that actually about different cult like environments. And I think about it actually in terms of life coaching. Is there's definitely some communities that have grown up around these. Go, quote unquote gurus um, who 
are really intelligent and people are following them blindly. And so I I think about this a lot and I have some people that I really, really respect their work. And I just always like to stay somewhat critical and somewhat just making sure that I'm really putting everything that I'm reading through the lens of does this feel right for me? Does this feel in line with my values and my ethics uh-huh, so that I'm uh-huh. not just blindly following anyone? Yeah, that's solid. It's, you know, it's when you hear someone that you just love all of their work, it's really tough to to keep your wits about you. But I think it's really important to, even if you do end up agreeing in the end, I for me, it's important to put it through the lens of, does this really fit me? Um, but I, I do want to go back real quick. So the idea, I have this, this email, which I'll send to you once it's published, but basically the idea that at any given time, if you just articulate what you're looking for, whether you're looking for advice or whether you're just looking for a listening ear, it can be really effective in strengthening your relationships. And then you can do the same thing as you can ask anyone that you're talking to, hey, do you want advice or do you just want me to listen? Because I think a lot of us go into problem-solving mode, self-included, very solution-oriented. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And instead of just letting somebody vent or get out whatever they need to get out, I know that I immediately go into, okay, how are we going to solve this? And how are we going to solve this, like you said, through my lens of my life and what's worked for me in the past? Um, and so that simple line is, are you looking for a listening ear or are you looking for advice? And it really helps get everyone on the same page. That's a way better question than I, I like that question a lot. I've never asked it quite like that, but um, I've found that sometimes if I'm sitting with someone, they'll they'll just you know people will they'll unload and then you know they unload a lot of things, and so then I'll start asking questions. Tell me more about that, and how did you arrive at this thought? And blah, blah, blah. and I'll get to the very end of the conversation where it's like I have a meeting in five minutes, but remind me how can I help you? <laughs> you know? And I get to the very end of the conversation. And then I'm, and then I realized, you know, I haven't really, I don't know if I've been even helpful. Like, can I help you? What can I do? And most of the time, people will just say, "No, I feel good." Yeah, I'm glad we had, I'm glad we had this talk. Um, but I like asking that question. Do you want advice, or do you want? How did you say it? Do you want yeah, advice? Yeah, do you want or advice, you want, or, are you, or are you just looking for just a listening looking ear? For listening in the ear, that's good. It's so helpful. So it has saved me because there are times when I have a lot of friends who are also very solution oriented and I'm like, I will get there, but I'm just not there yet. I am in the vent and moan <laughs> kind of kind mm-hmm, of place right mm-hmm. now. And I and I know that I'm not going to be receptive to your advice. So I want to articulate to you that I'm not ready for it. Um, and then I also just wanted to follow up. So I also I also have a blog post about this, but you mentioned the idea of getting really attached to the advice that you're giving people. And that's something that I've also experienced is, as I think a lot of coaches have an instinct to dole out this advice all of the time, and then you see people not take it, you're like, and you get frustrated and you get attached to it. So um, I was writing one morning, and one of the phrases that popped into my head through what I consider my inner voice, my intuition, was offer and release. And it's just this idea that you can offer things, but you have to release that attachment to the outcome. And so you can dole it out, but just stepping back and just letting whatever happens, happens. That's good. And do you find that when, like when you're, when you're, sorry, I know you're the one asking the questions here, but hold no, on a second. No, no, hit so, me. <laughs> so, when you're, so when you're working with someone and, uh-huh. and they, let's say you offer some advice, you do the offer release method, you offer some advice and then you release it. I don't know how long you're spending with people, but do you get to watch their life sort of play out? 
and <laughs> celebrate the moments with them where they maybe didn't follow your advice, but it still went well for them or even, or even the opposite mourning the Valley and not saying, I told you so. Wait, I'm not allowed to say I told you so. No, no, <laughs> no, no, no. I've just been walking around being like, I told you so. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. Um, well, actually, so I should clarify that I use I use offer and release in my coaching, but I also usually use it in my personal life because that's where I'm like, I'm not a life coach. I just want to throw out advice. But when I'm coaching, I'm very careful to not throw out advice indiscriminately. I'll I will actually never give advice if if there's ever a time to problem solve or brainstorm, I do it in collaboration with the client because uh-huh. I never want it to be Christina's ideas. Um, I want it to be a collaborative effort because that's where you get the most impact is when people generate their own ideas with help and with accountability and an outside perspective. That's where the most, most of the value happens. Yeah. So um, I – at this point, because I'm pretty new, I haven't been able to go through a super long process with a client of watching all of those ups and downs. But I will say just from experience is a lot of times the the action that you take is not actually the action that's going to get you the results that you want um, in a good way. It's ba- uh-huh. So here's an example, actually. I'll be more specific. So I know somebody who's job searching and he is going through a job searching program and he's doing all of the quote unquote right things. But what has happened is because he's opened himself up to a job search, he has people coming out of the woodwork to offer him job opportunities. So it's not even his outreach that's generating the most results. It's people are just popping up into his into his world offering him opportunities and i think that that's a i like to think of things through the lens of the law of attraction that he is now more open to it and so opportunities uh-huh. are presenting themselves but in my experience it's not always that the exact action is tied to an exact result does that all make sense yeah yeah that makes sense that's good i'm oh. excited to watch though over time to see how things kind of those those peaks and valleys like you mentioned. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I, I have to sort of give myself to a relationship over the long haul, uh, mm-hmm. which can be rewarding, but it can also suck because there are times where it's like there's this part of me that wants to say to somebody like, I, we've talked about this like five times mm-hmm, and I mm-hmm. wanted to walk, I want to walk with you and I'm here with you. I'm right beside you. Um, but like you got to you got to put on a tie for your next interview. <laughs> Or, you know, it can yeah, be like simple yeah. things that you're trying to suggest. And uh, and I guess I get to this place where sometimes I, I want to say, um, will you just will you just walk with me? Like sort, mm-hmm. sort of the fo- follow me mindset. Um, but don't blindly follow me. But just tr- like there are some times where there's a trust that needs to be built where you can. Because sh- I remember times for me where I was going through stuff where I literally just wanted somebody to tell me what to do next. Not because. I just didn't have the emotional capacity to figure out what to do next. And I trusted this person. And when they would go, Hmm. what do you think you should do? It was actually more frustrating to me than anything. (laughs) Yeah. So I guess I wonder where you find the balance between uh, talking with somebody, walking through some things with them, um, experiencing the highs and the lows without saying, I told you so. Is there a time where you say, okay, now that we're in this valley, now do you trust me? 
can we walk together now? Or is, is there ever a time where that happens, I guess? Yeah, I think that's a really good question. I do want to touch on one thing really quick before I fully answer that, which is okay. that in my experience with myself and with other people, sometimes people are just not ready. Mm. And and they're in my in my experience, and I would be really curious if people have other perspectives on this and if you have another perspective, but there are times where somebody has 100% of the information that they need, but they're not going to act on it because they're not ready. So my example in my life is when I was – I had gained a lot of weight and I knew intellectually everything I needed to do. I understood working out. I understood calories. I understood nutrition. But I just wasn't doing it. And until I decided on my own that I was ready for that, there was nothing that anyone could have done. I mean, somebody could have dragged me out for, let's say, a run every day. But other than that, there was nothing that anyone could have done to speed that along. I had to get to the point where I was ready. Ah, yeah. Uh, Which is really hard. It's really hard when you're the person who's not ready, but it's also really hard watching people who aren't ready. I mean, do you do you agree with that or do you think that there's a way to to prompt it along? Uh yeah, I, it's a toughie. Yeah, it's almost like there's a there's I do agree with with that a 100%. Like sometimes people um just aren't ready. Um I guess it just gets messy when you start mixing in language like accountability. Like mm-hmm. I'll give you an example. There's a there's um there's a guy in my life right now who uh, has asked me to hold him accountable to mm. not look at pornography. Mm-hmm. And now, granted, there's all kinds of views, and and I understand a lot of our listeners are probably they have their own mindset of whether like well, why why would he not want to look at you know? But he this is something he right. wants for himself. Right, he wants right, right. to mm-hmm. he feels like he's addicted to pornography and wants to mm-hmm. like knock it off. I guess. And uh, so he's asked me to hold him accountable. So, you know, there's a part of me that's like, okay, yeah. So when I see you, you know, at our friend's barbecue, am I going to pull you around back to the backyard and say, hey, man, you've been looking at pornography? Like, how awkward is that? How do I hold you accountable to that? And it's, it almost feels like there's a, there's this messy middle of, I want you to tell me what to do and I want to do what you say. But I really need you to do a lot of the work. But if you can, but I've seen scenarios where a little bit of accountability it truly did help. Like yeah. I use the, the the phrase like knock somebody over the side of the head. You would never do that. But kind of like pulling somebody <laughs> pulling somebody by their collar and saying, "Bro, listen, stop. You know, do this." It it, it can be helpful to especially mm-hmm. guys, in my opinion, to get jerked around a little bit metaphorically. Um, uh-huh. <laughs> so to, to sort of shake them a little bit and say, come on, get, you get back on the right path, do what you know is right in your heart. You yeah. know, this is the right thing. So get back on the right path. And I guess there's just a messy middle where there's like part of you that knows that they know better, but then another part of you knows that maybe they're not ready. Yeah. And it's just kind of being patient in that messy middle is kind of the challenge for me. <sighs> So good. It's yeah, it's so complicated. You know, I have this analogy that may or may not make sense. So we'll try it out here. So I I always joke when a friend, if I'm with a friend and they say, Hey, remind me to do XYZ later today. And I'm like, 
don't put the responsibility on me. Set an alarm. <laughs> right. Like, this isn't my thing. And so, I mean, I, yeah. I'm half joking, right? Like, of course, I'll remind them if I remember. But I'm like, you take responsibility. It's your thing. Um, and I think that there's a lot of that when it comes to the accountability piece, right? Is this No, this is your thing. You take responsibility. And at the same time, like you said, there's, there's the accountability piece and there's the um, being able to give people those reminders that they really need. And that I said, I think sometimes that tough love. So I guess what my, my response, and I don't have all the answers by any means, but what I would do is one, I believe fully that people do have the answers within them. Um, I don't know that everybody is on the same page with that, but I think in my experience, people say, I don't know a lot, but often they really do know. And if you get – if you dig mm. deeper into what I call intuition and you may call – do you have a another thing? Like I, would you just call that God? Yeah. Like a, when, you, when you use the phrase – I like intuition as a, as a standalone yeah. subject. I do think there mm-hmm. is a, a spiritual – something that's different from intuition, which would be mm-hmm. um, the, the spirit of God in a person. Uh, Got it. Uh, in, my, in my view, when God made people – um, however he made them, he made them with a bit of himself in them. So there's a part of mm-hmm. you that is divine and th- there's a part of your soul that you were made in his image. So there's a, there is a, I think it's different. It's different from intuition. I don't know how mm-hmm. I think it's different yet, but I think there's a, there's a spiritual being of you that mm-hmm. connects to God and to the presence of God. Um, mm-hmm. But I like use I like talking about intuition. Yeah. It, yeah. It, okay. It, it makes well, it easier. Yeah, no, I love I love your perspective and and in this case, yeah, I guess we'll we'll call it intuition, but basically this this inner knowing that um so I guess for me, the example of the guy watching pornography when he doesn't want to be. Um so we're not going to get into the ethics because it's just it's what he wants, right? It's to not watch pornography right. like you said. Uh-huh. So to me, um there's a term in my coaching certification program, they call it buffering. And buffering is basically any obsessive activity that you do. So it could be overeating, over drinking. It could be watching pornography, watching a ton of TV, anything that basically is designed to distract you from your deeper emotions and to give you, to fulfill that desire that you have. So you might have Mm. the sexual desire and instead of having that shake out in a healthy way, you've become obsessed with porn. So I guess I would work with somebody to get to that deeper level, like that intuitive level of why they're watching pornography and what Uh the pornography, how the pornography is benefiting them and how you can work with that is what are they gaining from it? And then how do you, how do you tease that apart? Yeah. Cause the temptation is to focus on behavior. Mm hmm. And even come up with behavioral offenses like, you know, don't never be in a room in the dark, you know, or like come up with right. these like things <laughs> yeah. that will help you control behavior. And right. you're right. At the end of the day, you got to understand, even if it if it takes years to get to it, understanding why. Why do I do this? What is it about this? Right. That, that what am I fulfilling by doing this? Right. Well, exactly. So in in my program there, they always caution against they call it coaching on the A line, which is basically coaching somebody's action. So it's giving people that advice like you should go do this or you should go do this. But this the idea of this style of coaching is 
your thinking prompts your feelings, which prompts your action. So if you are acting in a way that you don't like, you actually have to track that back to, well, what was the feeling? And maybe the Mm. feeling was sexual shame. Maybe the feeling was desire, whatever that feeling is. And then track that back to, well, what was the thought that caused that feeling? And what I love about this is that you can have any belief system and fit it into the model. So like you could come as a Christian. I could come as a spiritual person. Someone else could come as an atheist. But it would always shake out in the same way of human human behavior. So thinking prompts feeling, prompts action, prompts results. The way that they describe coaching in my program is coaching is just showing somebody their mind. And I love that. It's so simple. Mm. It's just showing you why things are shaking out in your life the way they are. That's solid. It's good, right? That's cool. Yeah, that's real good. So do you have any any other thoughts on this intuitive piece of this inner voice? Um, yeah, actually, there is there is a part. There is something that uh, I, I don't know if it necessarily falls in line with the the intuition word. But when it comes to the things of God, this is what I try to encourage people to do. So there are there are a few different kinds of people that 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 I think makes sense. The person that thinks there might be a God and mm-hmm. pursues the idea of God with all their heart. That makes sense. Uh, the person who thinks uh, that they're not sure that there's a God, like, um, and, and then they, so the person who, who believes there's a God and pursues God, yes, mm-hmm. seeks after God. That's, that makes sense. The person who, uh, thinks there might be a God and still seeks after and wants to know and wants to grow. That makes sense. Um, the person who thinks there's not a God, uh, and then chooses not to seek God, that makes sense. But mm-hmm. the person, and this is where intuition comes into play, uh, the mm-hmm. person who thinks there might be a God, but then neither seeks or serves God, mm. that that to me doesn't make a lot of sense because I think there's a part of every one of us that if we think there might be a God, that's a that's such a big subject that we shouldn't put that on the back burner. Okay. And, and so I would say from an intuition perspective, for one who maybe there's something inside of you that just keeps coming back to this recognizing a voice in you or recognizing not hearing voices, but recognizing like this, this something, this, this still soft nudging inside of you to pursue the idea of God, to wrestle with the questions of God. Uh, I would say when it comes to your intuition, like pursue it, don't leave things on the back burner, flesh them out, Mm. do the, do the hard work of, of, of asking the questions and wrestling with the issues because it's so easy for us to think about, like, for example, I was at a friend's uh, funeral recently and uh, he, he was an, an older guy, but I would say he passed away too early. And my thought was it felt, it just felt unreal. You know, like you, 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 when you go to a funeral and you think about death, you know, it's just, your mind says this isn't real, and then you you even say things afterwards. Like I felt like I was dreaming the whole time. It just doesn't feel yeah. real. But the reality is, like every person is going to die, and that's probably the most real thing you'll ever experience is mm-hmm. a, is a funeral. And but my my temptation is to take those types of experiences and questions about eternity and questions about death and life and God, and just sort of put them aside because they're uncomfortable. When I think mm-hmm. those are the issues that should be 
think what would make sense is that if I'm, if I don't have resolve on the issue of God, that I've got to get resolve one way or the mm-hmm. other. Mm-hmm. And so when it comes to intuition, I guess that would be the only thing that I would want to add to the conversation is um, from a spiritual perspective or from a, from a religious perspective. Uh, I think that's just something that we should, we just shouldn't leave that on the back burner. We, we got to figure that out. We got to go after it. And even if it takes all of my life to learn and grow and understand the different layers and, you know, all the, the, the messiness of pursuing God, uh, I think that's something that has to be done. Or I can say, there is no God. I don't believe in God and mm-hmm. enough's enough. I'm just going to choose to not think about it. I think, I think that's reasonable, um, uh-huh. but it's unreasonable. It's unreasonable to let your intuition sort of linger. Hmm. I, that's a really interesting perspective. I like that a lot. I like that a lot. And I would just add in that in, so I've been reading this book called The Artist's Way by Julia Cameron, which I highly recommend for anybody. Um, I'll put it in the show notes as a link. But one thing that she says, she has a lot of different activities and prompts. And one thing that she says is do the activity and the prompt that most captures your attention, the one that really draws you in. And so I think everyone's reaction is like, yeah, cool. I'm super excited. I, you know, this, this writing prompt is great. I'm really excited to do it. But then she follows up and she says, and do the one that you resist the most Mm. because that's often what you need the most. And so I think if somebody is listening right now and they hear your call to action to really continue to explore this idea of God um, and they have a really visceral reaction, explore that. And I think uncovering your stigmas and uncovering your opinions and your, again, your visceral reactions, I think is really important. So again, to, to kind of loop it back to the beginning is this idea that a lot of people listening might not be religious and might have very visceral reactions to the church. And I think taking the time to dig into why you have those judgments is, can be a really, really, really interesting experiment. So true. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I just want to sit in thought now. <laughs> So let's much to it. ponder. Let's, let's have a moment. <laughs> a moment of silence. <laughs> um, well, I guess I would also ask you real quick, um, and I have my own way that I'll speak to, but what is the way that you think people can best explore? Asking questions. I think ask, just ask questions. I keep asking questions and, uh, and, and let your curiosity get the best of you. Uh, there's a, and th- there's a, there's a humility that's involved in this as well, because I think by nature, I want to be my own God. So like the idea of God in the beginning is like, wait a minute. So you're telling me, I, you're telling me there might be somebody in authority over me. You know, that's, that's uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so be humble, uh, be, be curious, be teachable. I think teachability mm-hmm. is huge. Um, not again, don't blindly follow anything, but just a general sense of teachability. Um, I think those things are really important when you're pursuing God, especially in the beginning, because you don't know what you don't know. And there are people probably in your life, in my life, who, who can help us discover, um, acceptable answers, uh, to a lot of our questions. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and so one way or the other, I would say resolve it. And it might be that your quest isn't to, find God. Maybe your quest is to just prove that God doesn't exist for yourself. Mm -hmm. 
and I, I would I would even accept that as a as a quest for some. Like that would be the direction they need to go just to kind of nip it in the bud. Mm-hmm. Um, but I I just wouldn't let it linger. Yeah. Um, but I wouldn't say go to the church because uh, you know, yes, if you're comfortable with church, if you don't have a lot of history with the church and you and you you don't have a lot of concerns about organized religion, then sure, like go see a pastor, go see a priest, go talk with somebody that you trust. Um, yeah. But the likelihood is that you have a family member or a friend or somebody who you would look at and say they're very faithful to what they believe and they're not a butthole. I, I, you know what I mean? Like they're not uh-huh. mean. Yeah. They're not mean to people. Yeah. So go yeah. sit down with them and ask them some questions. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I just have to get this out. So I have this friend and she goes to church and she told me recently, I didn't realize that she told me that she doesn't tell people until she's really close to them that she goes to church because she's afraid of the stigma. And I just, I just hope to live in a world where that's not the case in the very near future. It just, it breaks my heart that this thing that's super important to her, she feels like she can't share openly for fear of judgment. And I think it's the judgment again from people who would consider themselves really open-minded. So I guess, I guess my plea, I think you have given a really, really incredible call to action. And I guess my call to action is if you are having these negative reactions, or if you find out someone goes to church and you, changes your perspective on them, dig into that and figure out why you have those stigmas. And if you're listening, if you're, and I would say if you're listening and you're, you're, you're like a faithful churchgoer and mm-hmm. that, you know, you, you don't, you can't relate to like, uh, accept and repent of some of our behaviors, like church, it's the church's fault that we have this stigma because for mm-hmm. too long, the church was full of people who were jerks. Mm-hmm. And we've used religion as a way to control people and we've used our ideologies as a way to, to divide and, and, and it, it has really hurt people. And so the part of the, the crowd out there that might be listening who immediately raises red flags when they think about the church, it's the church's fault. And so I think for us churchgoers, we need to say, okay, what are, what have we done to cause this? And let's find a way to, to, let's find a path to, to restore our relationship to humanity. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for that. Well, I, I got to get me to a Quaker meeting. <laughs> this is this is my call to action to myself is I've been talking about going to a Quaker meeting for months now. It's been, it, I put it on my calendar. It's a recurring calendar invite um, every Sunday. And so, so are I just you, need are you to... just going to, you're just going to like show up to a, to a Quaker meeting, like unannounced, just like roll in there Without thinking, like, or are you going to find a friend who's a Quaker? No, I'm just going to go. <laughs> it's like, yeah. it's right up the street for me. I don't know if you're familiar at all, but um, the way that the Quaker meeting works is that it's, there's no leader, there's no pastor or anyone. It's silent until somebody feels called to speak. And then they stand up and they speak and then people can, I guess people don't directly respond, but people can stand up as they feel called and, and say their own thing. Um, I just think it's a really interesting, just a really interesting style of church. And uh, I will actually give a shameless plug for a book recommendation, which you may actually enjoy, because I think to me, it's the cross between God and intuition. Uh-huh. Uh, it's called Let Your Life Speak. Have you heard of it? No. Who wrote it? It's amazing. It's Parker Palmer. Okay. And my mom recommended it to me, and I have recommended it to so many people since then, but I think it's a really beautiful book. It's really about vocation, 
but in relation to values, God, intuition. So amazing. Oh, I like book. that. I like that. That sounds yeah. great. I love this. I, I don't know. This has just been such an interesting conversation. I feel like I've gotten a ton of new perspectives and it makes me just excited to continue to have these conversations within my community. So I really appreciate you um, coming on and just sharing your perspective. Is there anything else that's helpful that's on your mind right now that you want to add in before we give people a chance to connect with you? We're wrapping up. So, well, um, we don't, we don't have, I mean, I can talk for hours. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Uh, I mean, there, there's, yeah, you're right. There's just so many things that we could go down the road. Um, <laughs> when, when, uh, when you think about, I guess this is, I don't have anything on my mind that I'd like to say, like in closing mm-hmm. or in summary or anything like that. But the, that phrase, let your life speak. You read that book. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What, what's the, what's the general, like, what's the big right hook? Okay. So I have, this is one of the hardest books for me to sum up. I don't know why it's so difficult for me to really synthesize and articulate, but I guess I started rereading it. And the biggest thing is basically this idea that we spend a lot of our lives trying to live up to these values that we think we should live up to. So we look at we look at the Rosa Parks, we look at Gandhi, we look at Martin Luther King, and we say, well, they had this value and this is how they lived their life, so I'm going to try to do the same thing. Mm-hmm. And his point is basically we all have this internal guidance and this internal value system. And instead of instead of trying to live up to values outside of ourselves, why don't we actually look inside ourselves find out what our values are and live according to them. Well, that's powerful. Yeah. Why weren't, why don't you just be yourself? So, um, do you, do you feel like that you, that like this next season of your life, you know, um, you move to the big city, your life coaching, um, is this a long term? Like this is you, this is the culmination of like your values kind of pushing you into this direction or, that's a really good question. I'm actually glad you asked that. So every morning I wake up in this new season of life coaching and I think to myself, I was born for this and trained for this. Um, it feels deeply, deeply right um, on so many levels and it's hard. It's for sure hard. I mean, I wake up every morning being like, I don't know what I'm supposed to do today. I don't have um, a business yet. I should probably make a business. Um, so it is really challenging, but it just feels that's the best way I can describe it. It's born for it and trained for it. Um, and if I I think – so I, I won't get too far into this philosophy, but I have this philosophy that I'm working on, which is that basically – we should reclaim the term self-centered, that self-centered has a completely negative connotation, but that there's actually a lot of benefit to being centered in self. And mm. when you're centered in self, it's like the the idea of put your oxygen mask on first is when you're actually centered in self and taking care of yourself and doing what you love, you can actually show up as a much more full force in the world. And so I think of just the difference for me between showing up as a life coach now versus in my last job. I did not like it. I struggled every day. Every day felt like I was pushing against myself and really trying to discipline myself into 
good behavior, <laughs> more or uh-huh, less. Uh-huh. And now I wake up and it's just not, it's again hard, but it's not that hard. And it's not like I'm fighting against myself every single day. And so for me, that's a, it's been really cool to see how I'm showing up differently and how when I am doing something that I absolutely love, I mean, I love coaching, I can be a much better coach. I can be, I can come from a cleaner, healthier, more centered place. So I'm I'm starting a, a campaign, a grassroots cam- campaign to reclaim self-centered. <laughs> I like it. That's awesome. <laughs> you know, what's funny is like there was a few. So when I met you a few years ago, there was a part of you and your personality um, that was attractive to me. I think I remember thinking like, I just want to like talk to her. Like I want to ask because I was going I was going through a tough season. I was trying to sort through like, do I can like, should I continue in the role that I'm in at my church? Should I? you know, should I quit and do just do something else? Like, should I make, and I remember just feeling like in this unknown, like season of life and in an odd way, uh, I, I specifically remember feeling like I should reach out to you. And I don't know if that means anything to you at all, but what I would want to say is th- that that is like, to me, it was like, your calling or the person that you're supposed to be was already kind of coming out of you. Like I was attracted to that part of like, I'm just going to ask her some questions and see what she says. Uh, I think there's a, there's a part of you that's definitely gifted and definitely talented and you have everything it takes for this next season of your life. And it's when you say I wake up and I, I think I was born for this. I, I would like to also add that you were built for this. Like there's whatever you've experienced all all along has truly prepared you uh, to do really, really well in this, you know, uh, sphere of, uh, of the world. So I'm excited to see how, how things progress with you. Oh, thank you so much. You're going to make me cry. <laughs> no, that, that, that means so, so much to me. I mean, it's been... It's been a very interesting ride to get here. You saw me in a very different phase of life when I was living abroad, which was one of the best times of my life. And this is the best time of my life in a whole different way. Um, I know I really, really appreciate you saying that. And I just I am really excited and committed to becoming the best coach that I can be. I think I want to do this in the most honest and I think the word authentic is overused again, but authentic, honest and ethical way that I can. And so I'm committed to just constantly learning um, and constantly evolving. So I guess that to me is what, what it's all about is evolution. I always just say, you know, going all in on your own evolution. And I think that yeah. you have, it sounds like you've gone in all in on your evolution in many different ways in many different areas of your life as well. So <sighs> life. <laughs> it's it's going to be my closing quote, life. <laughs> <laughs> no, but thank you so much for saying all of that. Thank you. Thank you so, so much uh, for your perspective. It's been super illuminating to me. I I am not exaggerating. I'm going to go right now and just do some writing and processing. So this has been really helpful. I I think it's probably been really helpful and eye-opening for everybody listening. So anything else to add before, again, (laughs) back to um, how people can find you? 
Oh yeah, yeah. Um, my phone number uh, is nine one nine four one seven six five three five. That's daring. Yeah, I mean, it, you know, it. I could tell you go to my website, go to my Twitter, or my Facebook, or uh-huh. something. You can find you can find me on Facebook and Instagram and stuff. At Bill Rose eighty three is my handle. Um, but uh, you know, it's a lot of church stuff and 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 stuff that <laughs> you know people probably would. You might follow me, but then you'd unfollow me after after my seventh post about my church. Um, <laughs> but, you know, it, yeah, if somebody wants to have a conversation or whatever, I'm down, just text me or call me or set something up. And um, yeah. Awesome. I love it. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the peak podcast. Your support helps this podcast grow. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend and then head over to iTunes to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. It is so much appreciated, and I will see you on the next episode.